Welcome to another episode of Dakota Spotlight. I really appreciate you listening and would like you to know about Spotlight Plus. It is a subscription to Dakota Spotlight that provides bonus content, early access, and ad-free listening, all while supporting my work and the show you love. You can subscribe right in the Apple Podcasts app or visit dakotaspotlight.com. I called the police. And because he came and I'm like, how do you know that she is not coming back? It hasn't been that long. You're listening to Dakota Spotlight, a production of Forum Communications. This is Season 6, Vanishing Act, the untold story of Kristen Beatty and Bob Anderson. To see articles, photographs, videos, and more about this season, visit inforum.com forward slash Dakota Spotlight. As many of you already know, I'm James Wallner, the creator and host of this podcast, currently in season six. But this season, I'm co-producing with my colleague Jeremy Fugelberg. Now, before every episode, Jeremy and I map out our story together, and each week, we've been alternating some tasks. One of us writes the script, while the other proofreads, does some fact-checking, and conducts interviews, research, and so on. I've been doing all the sound design and editing, while Jeremy has been taking on all the written articles at inform.com. In other words, teamwork. And pretty much everything we put into this story is cross-checked and pre-approved by one another. Everything that is except what I'm saying right now. I'm sort of sneaking these words into this episode without asking for Jeremy's input because I know he would ask me not to say what I'm about to say. And that is simply this. I want to thank Jeremy for all his hard work and help on this season so far. As many of you know, this is the first time I've brought someone else into a season like this. And for reason I'm sure many of you can imagine, at this point in the story, the investigation of Kristen Deedee and Bob Anderson is a bit nerve-wracking at times, in ways I've not had to deal with in the past. And I'm really happy that Jeremy agreed to join forces with me. So thanks, Jeremy, for all your help thus far in this season. Many of you have become accustomed to hearing me share a bit of my own thoughts while I tell these stories. This week... We get to hear some of Jeremy's, too, and it's good stuff. So, without any further ado, here's Jeremy and me, too, with Episode 7, How People Vanish. I remember the first time I learned about Kristen Deedy and Bob Anderson. It was just last year, after James reached out, seeking assistance with this important season of Dakota Spotlight. I didn't know anything about Kristen and Bob, or about their families, their upbringings, their joys, their hopes, their fears, their dreams. I just knew they were missing, that they may have been murdered, that they'd never been found. One of my very first thoughts was, how does that happen? How did two people vanish and not trigger a massive manhunt? Blanket media coverage, the front page of the newspaper, the nightly news, the cable shows... How can people report their loved ones as gone, and it not blow up into the mystery of the year, if not the century? It seems like every week there's another high-profile case of someone who's gone missing, right? You see those headlines. You watch that news, the Dateline episode, then maybe later you watch the Netflix show about them. In 1993, 
when Kristen and Bob disappeared. I was a teenager in Fargo, North Dakota, only a few hours drive away from where they were last seen, in the Wishick area. I don't remember ever hearing anything about them. Nobody in my life talked about them. It wasn't in the news. It wasn't on TV. I think my background is a big reason I had that big question right up front. How does this happen? How two people can just vanish and not make the news? I lived a comparatively safe life in a safe neighborhood, in a safe town. People in my neighborhood didn't get killed. They didn't go missing. Give you an idea of the kind of fear that I lived with. I had a paper route. My biggest fear was a big angry poodle who lived in one of the fancy houses on Lilac Lane. It always barked bloody murder at me through the front door, and then this one time it got loose and chased me across the front lawn. That was the fear that I lived with. And maybe many of you can relate. That kind of lived experience can make you blind. Blind to the risks other people face every day. People who live their lives in tough circumstances, unsafe neighborhoods, unsafe families, under threat of daily injury, or worse. It's the reason many people remember their childhood as a good, safe, comparatively happy time. Well, many others do not. Kristen and Bob touched many people's lives. People loved them. James and I have talked to many of those people. They're the real heart and drive behind this season of Dakota Spotlight. They're preserving the memories of those who went missing, Kristen and Bob, keeping the flame of hope alive. We should all have people like that. People who care. I'd like to think I do. You probably do too. But not everyone does. The tragedy of this, though, is that even if those loved ones are there and keep fighting, it might not be enough. Missing people can and often do stay missing. Justice remains unserved. Kristen and Bob had people who sounded the alarm when they went missing, and it still wasn't enough. But those people kept fighting the fight. In this episode, we're going to take a good look at all the fault lines, all the big cracks that seem to swallow up Kristen and Bob and the news of their disappearance. The things that seem to have squelched the hunt for them. This won't be pretty. Sometimes the reasons might be hard to believe. And if you're like me, you'll come out of this probably a little angry and frustrated but maybe hopeful too, because people can and do just vanish. But as long as someone cares, be they family, law enforcement, or two guys on a podcast, the missing, such as Kristen and Bob, they're never truly gone. This is the reason Dakota Spylight exists, really. It's what drew me to join James on this season. This podcast, it helps to keep that flame of hope alive. And just maybe we find some answers. Hello, dear listener. This is James, host of Dakota Spotlight, inviting you to subscribe to Spotlight Plus. For as little as $5 per month, you will get the warm feeling of supporting the show and also unlock access to bonus episodes. Get the episodes early and listen ad-free. That's right, no more ads. Apple users can subscribe to Spotlight Plus Standard right in the Apple Podcasts app. If you want to dive deeper and get even more exclusive benefits, subscribe to Spotlight Plus Premium or Spotlight Plus Ultimate. Go to dakotaspotlight.com for more details. There's a big important thing to remember as we dig through why Kristen and Bob's disappearance didn't make more waves. Maybe the biggest factor in all of this, and that's who they were. Or rather, who they weren't. James talked to Susan about this. If you recall from previous episodes, she's the former executive director of the Cornerstone Domestic Violence Agency in Bloomington, Minnesota. 
Susan and her staff were important allies for Kristen as she broke away from Clyde. They have, perhaps more than anyone else over the last three decades, made sure her disappearance isn't forgotten. Here's James with Susan. It's funny, you you come across people, like a lot of my listeners, who have that one thing in common, like, how can people not be looking for someone, even if it's a stranger? And it, that almost bothers them more than the fact that the person is missing, almost, that no one is looking. Well, you know, think of, of how, I mean, it, it was a very unfortunate set of circumstances for Kristen and Bob, but think of the hundreds of indigenous women that disappear. Nobody looks for them. How how devastated are their families? That you know, to think that that the subconscious bias is that certain people don't deserve that kind of commitment, that kind of energy, because they they're just they're just. Indian women, and they're just black women, and they're just poor white trash, and who cares about them? We we treat people differently mm-hmm. in this country based on a whole set of, of factors, but race and economic status, you know, if you're poor, you, you don't matter. So let's talk law enforcement. Those you would think would be the first to hear about two people who had vanished. And in this case, they were. In the days after Kristen and Bob were last seen, on August 15, 1993, people who cared about them called the cops to report them missing. But here's a question for you, and put yourself in the shoes of Kristen's friends or Bob's family members. Which cops should you even call? If two Minnesotans go missing in North Dakota, who should investigate the case? It's not even as easy as those two states. Think how this situation crosses so many jurisdictional boundaries, city borders, county borders, state lines. Would you call your local police or the police in the place you think they went missing? Do you call county authorities, state authorities, the FBI? Let's run through a short list of the mess. Kristen. She was from North Dakota, but she was now a resident of Bloomington, Minnesota. She had friends there and allies at the Cornerstone Agency. Bob was from Minnesota, but had lived in a number of places and had family around the Twin Cities. Wishek. Kristen had family in the Wishek area, and Wishek is where she and Bob talked to law enforcement the day they were last seen. But Wishek is a town in McIntosh County. There's a county line between Wishek and the Dede and Gable Farms, which are in Logan County. Kristen had both blood family and in-laws in Logan County. That's where Kristen's estranged husband Clyde was that weekend, too, although he also lived in Bloomington at the time. We know this is a lot to keep track of, and that's our point. This was a tangled mess, jurisdictional boundaries. Who was where, who came from where, where people were last seen, where their friends were, where their families were. So now let's look at who did get the calls for help. First, it was the police in Bloomington, Minnesota. Tiffany, Kristen's friend who was holding down the fort in Kristen's apartment in Bloomington, hesitated at first to make the call. As she told us in last week's episode, at first she felt it wasn't her place. But then the Anderson family called her and suggested she call the police. So she did. Here's Tiffany again from my sit-down interview with her in Utah. 
It was Wednesday. I called the police. They sent a woman. Um, Heather came down. We talked to the lady. She kind of just brushed us off like like we wanted attention or something or or something like it wasn't that serious. Maybe we should butt out. You know, that's the feeling I got. Like, you're just some friends that she just met. You don't know anything about it. And you're just like, we're starting something. Hmm. You know, maybe she put us up to it so that she can have documentation. You know, just it was just weird talking to this lady. Um, I didn't feel like she took us seriously or me. Okay. No. And did were you ever contacted again about? No, never. What, what about... Two years later, three years by law nope, enforcement? No, never, not 10, once. 15. I actually called once about five years, no, about eight, nine years before I moved up here to Utah from California, and they couldn't even find the case. Um, you remember where you called? I called um, Bloomington Police Department. You did? And okay. I just was like, can I get any information about the disappearance of Kristen Deedy? And they're like, um, we don't. Let me see, you know, if we can find out. I don't know who you're talking about. It's been a long time. We'll get back to you. I get left my name and number and never heard anything. So no one from North Dakota, BCI, or Logan County Sheriff's Department not spoken with you? Nope, no one. Okay. Not since that day. No one spoke to me except for you. So Tiffany recalls feeling brushed off by the police. I'm not going to argue that. But it's quite clear the report was taken seriously. Linda Miller appears to have been the Bloomington police officer assigned to this case. We tried several times to interview Linda and never heard back from her. But Susan, at the Cornerstone Shelter, she remembers Linda's dogged and collaborative approach to the case. And as we'll see later, Bloomington police were crucial to keeping the investigation alive to this day. Here's Susan talking to James. And, and I, I think we owe a great deal to Linda. Um, because she kept us informed. Anytime she found out any official information, she would share it with us. Another friend of Kristen, you've heard in previous episodes, her upstairs neighbor, Heather, recalls she and Tiffany did what they could to sound the alarm, to seek help, to get answers. I never thought I would be involved in something like that. That's why we, we printed out the flyers. And, you know, we, we knew that they were both missing. And so we... Uh, printed out flyers with their picture on it. And, uh, gosh, I, I, uh, I, have my, I have one flyer left. I think it's in my hope chest somewhere. The flyers prominently featured photos of Kristen and Bob and offered a $1,500 reward. Crime Stoppers and the Bloomington Crime Prevention Association asking for information leading to the arrest and formal charging of anyone responsible in Kristen and Bob's disappearance. As far as we know, those flyers never netted any good evidence, but Heather still has one of them to this day. To see it for yourself, check it out on our podcast website. It's at inforum.com forward slash Dakota Spotlight, all one word. Okay, so how about Bob's family? Our best source on what the Anderson family did is from the careful notes on the case maintained by Mike and Diane. You've heard from them before. Diane is Bob's older sister, Mike the brother-in-law. Mike and Diane's notes include information from the Anderson family and their conversations with law enforcement. According to those notes, Bob's father called Bob's brother, Dean, on Tuesday, two days after Bob was last seen. He said he was worried that Kristen and Bob hadn't returned from North Dakota. On Wednesday, the following day, 
Tiffany recalls Bob's parents called Kristen's apartment and reached Tiffany. According to Mike and Diane's notes, the Anderson family contacted police themselves also. Dean, Bob's older brother, reported him missing to the Bloomington Police Department on August 26, 1993. Then he reported Bob to another department in late October. Here's Mike and Diane talking to James and me. Oh, and that background noise is my bad habit of taking notes by pounding on my laptop keyboard like it's an old typewriter. Sorry about that. What's the October 21st date? That's news to me. Dean reported them missing to the St. Paul police. Oh. Uh, I think possibly that had something to do with Bob's address. Oh. Yeah. I think his official address may have been at Dean's at that time. It's not clear that that call to the St. Paul Police Department ever led to anything. But we do know the Bloomington calls mattered, as we'll explain later. So who didn't reach out to help Kristen and Bob? Who didn't get told they were missing? Who didn't sound the alarm? More people than you'd like to think. Welcome back. Kristen's friends and Bob's family in Minnesota alerted local authorities after the two disappeared, reporting them to two different local police departments. That much we know. But as best as James and I have been able to figure out, no local or state law enforcement in North Dakota got a similar report. Nobody there heard about Kristen and Bob going missing from the Wishick area until late 1994, more than a year after they'd vanished. How can that be? It's actually pretty simple. Nobody in North Dakota reported them gone. As best as we can tell, none of the police in Minnesota who got the missing persons reports contacted North Dakota law enforcement either. That is, until many months later. We'll tell you about that in a bit. So what about family? Kristen's family, the Gables, or even her estranged husband, Clyde, or his parents, Kristen's in-laws. Did any of them call to report her missing? No, no, and no. We can come up with some reasons why, but they still fall short for us as good reasons. So let's call them explanations. Let's see what you think. Let's start with Kristen's family, the Gables. It seems pretty clear that Kristen was the black sheep of that family. She'd changed her name twice and moved far away. She was back that way in August 1993, so I bet they didn't expect to see her again anytime soon, but... There's a different reason why they may not have expected to hear from her for a very long time. I've interviewed Kristen's sister, Sandra, a couple of different times. She recalls it was Clyde who barred Kristen from speaking with her parents. They, they hardly, she hardly talked to my parents. She couldn't. Clyde wouldn't allow it. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Clyde didn't like her associating with you guys? No. According to Sandra, this was due to an earlier spat between the Dee Dee and Gable families over Sandra and Kristen spending time with Clyde before he and Kristen got married. But regardless of the earlier disagreements, by August of 1993, Kristen sure didn't seem to be following Clyde's orders anymore, did she? Remember, she'd filed charges against him for domestic abuse, and he was charged for it. She was dating Bob, going out and having fun, changing the way she dressed. So you would think she'd be able to call her family back in Wishick if she wanted to. And it should have been clear to the Gables she could do so. So weeks turned into months, then a year, 
If you're the Gable family, wouldn't you start to wonder why you haven't heard anything at all from Kristen? Wouldn't you wonder what she's up to, where she is? And if she doesn't answer any phone calls, well, then what? Here's a clip from my interview with Kristen's sister, Brenda, and Brenda's daughter, Sherry, in October of 2021. We're standing outdoors in front of the Gable home in Wishick. See, the family was on a falling out period at that time. So she was on a falling out period at the time. So she wasn't really talking to none of us. So we don't know much. So you guys didn't see her that weekend when she came No, no. I didn't see nothing. We didn't know nothing. And my folks aren't around no more. Have the police ever talked to you? Um, yeah. Oh, yes. a long time ago. Long yeah. time ago. How old were you when they talked to you? <laughs> like I said, she was still going to school at the time. So. I don't remember. Okay. And I maybe could have been in my 30s, 40s. Yeah. So it would have been but, like way back then when they disappeared? Yeah. yeah. Well, what did your parents say about the disappearance? What did they think happened? Did they have any idea? No, they don't got no idea. None of us have no idea what happened to her. That's what I would like to know. That's what we'd like to know what happened to her. Of course. But we don't know. <laughs> Do you remember the first time you heard that she was missing? Mm, after we got back from Idaho. Mm. Like right away? Yeah. Um, Maybe about a week or two after that. No, sooner. I don't remember. It's hard school. to so, keep every on. little detail of it and... And we're trying to get over it, so. I'm sorry for your loss. Uh, yeah. I mean, is there anywhere in your mind you think she might be alive? No. No. Mm. See, it kind of, you kind of give up hope after this long. Yeah. Especially, yeah. you know, she's not in contact with her children either. Yeah. Now, we don't mean to imply the Gable family did not care that Kristen had vanished but we don't have any evidence they raised any alarms with local or state authorities. Same with the Didi family, now missing a daughter-in-law, a sister-in-law. Estranged, yes, but still. Even for the sake of their two grandkids, their niece and nephew, Mitchell and Deanna, why not at least pursue where their mom went? Their lack of action stands in marked contrast to what we know Bob's family did after he vanished. Our reporting has indicated there was word around town in the Wishick area that Kristen and Bob had gone missing in the weeks after they vanished. However, we can't find any signs that the small local newspaper in Wishick wrote up anything about it, nor any other news outlet for that matter. Just talk. Words on the wind. Here, then gone. Vanished. Now the van. Bob's van. From our last episode, you'll recall that Bob's Dodge van was reported in Aberdeen, South Dakota, five days after they were last seen. It was abandoned in a parking lot a hundred miles away from Wishick, and curiously, it had been stripped of its license plates and scrubbed of its VIN identification number. You'll remember that the van was reported to the police, but it doesn't seem the vehicle triggered a hunt for its owner. Or if it did, and they figured out it belonged to Bob, no alarms were raised when they couldn't get in touch. Like I pointed out in the last episode, based on what law enforcement told Bob's family members, Aberdeen used the vehicle as a city service vehicle, with apparently no idea it was likely a crucial piece of information into what happened to two people missing in North Dakota. Another opportunity to connect the dots 
was lost. Here's Susan again. They just disappeared. You know, and and what happens when, when I think to people like domestic violence advocates, they think, well, where did she go? There's a well on the farm. Maybe they threw, they know. I mean, you go to such extraordinary kinds of things just trying to figure out what happened. And I will say that when they discovered the van in South Dakota, that was an aha moment. And the fact that the van had been sitting in a parking lot for an indeterminate amount of time, um, that the police did not know that it was part of a missing persons report, the fact that the VIN number didn't match the license plate number, and that the police used the vehicle for a surveillance van, compromising any evidence that, you know, and, you know, and, and it was just so frustrating because there probably, well, I shouldn't say that, there might have been evidence in that van that a homicide had been committed. Yes. You know, regardless of, of whatever. Regardless of who killed them. Yes. So how about Clyde, Kristen's estranged husband? As far as we can tell, he never contacted authorities either. From our reporting, it seems he told people he believed Kristen had run away with Bob, away from her kids, away from her friends, away from her life. It's a claim he repeated when I interviewed him last month on a bad phone line. So that uh, that weekend, what uh, what do you th- what do you think happened to her? I've heard lots of different stories, I guess, since we've been reporting on this. To the best of my knowledge, she left with her boyfriend. Left from just what do you what do you mean left? I guess. Well, from her previous life, I don't know. Like left, like just drove away, or where do you took? As in took off. Oh, like left, left, from... right. Right. Okay, okay. But again, how do you not wonder after a while? Don't you want to know if the mother of your children left two kids with you and ran off? Or maybe where she was? Or think of the kids. It seems likely that they're two kids, Mitchell and Deanna, aged nine and six at the time. Well, they should have been old enough to wonder what happened to their mother, right? Mitchell has passed, as we told you in a previous episode. And Deanna has rejected requests to speak with us. But here's what Clyde said on that question. What he told his kids, or didn't tell them, about their missing mother, Kristen. They were pretty young at that time. Uh, what, mm-hmm. what, did, what did you tell them, or how did you talk to them about where their mom went? Well, they... I wouldn't say used. they weren't used to that type of thing from her, but it wasn't the first time that she would leave the trailer with somebody, if not me, then somebody else. But of course, you know, after a while, she's not coming back. Uh, how did you handle that just as a, as a dad? I didn't have anything to to relate about it. Um, 
there was nothing I could tell them. Yeah. Did they ask about about her a lot? Oh, sure. They would ask periodically, I wonder when mom's coming back, and I, I couldn't tell them. Not long after Kristen Bob vanished, it seems Clyde was back in Bloomington, Minnesota. And he had a confrontation with Kristen's neighbor friend, Heather. It's not clear precisely when this took place. Heather doesn't remember the exact date. She places it weeks or maybe a month or two after Kristen disappeared. Here, Heather recounts to me and James her memory of what happened. A memory that, to this day, still leaves her shaken. Yeah, and then the next day became the next day. I didn't know who to call, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, and then he showed up. And who and it was, was like who was he? It, her ex-husband. And I was just like, "What are you doing here?" And God, maybe it was a week or so after. See, I can't remember exactly how things flow together because it was, sure. I mean, how many, you know, years ago. Sure. Because her house was a mess after he left it, and that's what I remember. I called the police. And I don't know if Tiffany decided that we should do that or if I did. Okay. And maybe that's who um, called the, um, because somebody came to interview us. Okay. And that's when they told me the defamation of character and that I could go to jail because I was saying that he did this. And so he had to have came to the house already. And yep, that's why I called the police. So you called the police after he came to the yeah. house? I'm sorry. I'm just, I keep replaying stuff in my mind because I hadn't thought about this in many years. And because he came and I'm like, how do you know that she is not coming back. It hasn't been that long. Heather said Clyde then got in her face. And she said she's nervous to repeat what he said to her then, to this day. On advice of our lawyers, we're going to refrain from repeating her specific memory of it as well. But like we said, Heather's confrontation with Clyde left her shaken and scared. I asked Clyde about the encounter when I got him on the phone that one time last month. He had little to say about it, and in fact, it was the question that led him to end the call and to indicate he was not interested in talking with me again. Now, you, uh, my understanding is from Kristen's friends uh, back in Bloomington is uh, not too long after she disappeared, you uh, showed up at her apartment to, to get some things. Is that is that accurate? A truck that belonged to me. That's the only thing that I, re- I re- recall about going to apartment. That oh, to get a vehicle, you mean? Yes. Okay. So, I am working. This is taking quite a while. Okay. Would could I call again another time when it'd be more convenient for you? No. Are you you're not interested in talking anymore about this? No. It's dredging up bad memories. I I understand that. We've said it in previous episodes, but it bears repeating. 
I spoke via phone with Clyde early last month and asked a few questions before Clyde ended the call, indicating he didn't want to discuss the matter further, then or later. James followed up with him a week later anyway, and Clyde declined to answer any more questions. Months after Kristen was last seen, Clyde divorced her and received full custody of their two children. We obtained a copy of the divorce decree from Minnesota, dated March 7, 1994. That's 204 days from the date people last saw Kristen alive. We'll post it online at our podcast site, inforum.com forward slash Dakota Spotlight. Here, James and I take a look at it and see what we learn. 10992, is that what you're looking at? Yes. So, if you recall, uh, they stipulate, um, and this would presumably be Clyde. The divorce was granted in Hennepin County, Minnesota, but March 7th, 1994 was the end of the process, not the beginning. The records say Kristen and Clyde had separated on September 28th, 1992. Eleven days later, Clyde filed for divorce. The divorce proceedings continued into 1993. Just about the time Kristen and Bob vanished in August, court records show the judge in charge of the proceedings ordered a visitation study to help figure out child custody arrangement, a common procedure when custody is contested. It was a process that could take months. It's not clear what that visitation study order led to, but with Kristen no longer vying for custody, it seems the divorce process got quite a bit simpler. A final hearing took place January 18, 1994. Clyde was the petitioner. Kristen was listed as the respondent. Kristen Joy Didi, address unknown. Says the divorce decree, petitioner is entitled to judgment by default for respondent's failure to appear. No, Kristen made this process a lot more straightforward. Clyde got full custody of Mitchell and Deanna. For Kristen, visitation rights and child support were listed as reserved meaning not set up at the time. That meant no visitation set up for Kristen with her kids, no child support payments expected. Kristen Deedy could keep her stuff, the decree says, but Clyde would get her vehicle, a 1977 Ford Bronco. Four pages in all. That was it. The divorce was now final. Later that year, in 1994, Clyde moved to South Dakota. Based on what we know from the background check we pulled on him, by late 1994, Clyde and his two children moved to the town of Winter in South Dakota, then with a population of about 3,300 people. There, Clyde opened a small chiropractic practice on Main Street. He was far away from Wishick, as the crow flies about 230 miles straight south. Maybe he even thought this was him turning a page to the next chapter of his life. But then, something very crucial occurred on December 9th, 1994. Someone at the Bloomington, Minnesota Police Department picked up the phone and called the sheriff in Logan County in North Dakota. And for the first time, North Dakota law enforcement heard about Kristen and Bob's disappearance 16 months after they were last seen. And that phone call led to another phone call in Bismarck, the state capital, to the heavy hitters, North Dakota's state version of the FBI, the BCI, the Bureau of Criminal Investigation. Suddenly, agents there had a missing persons case to discuss, and they've been discussing it and working it ever since.
I'd like to say a final personal note. It's something, a mindset, we've held closely to while working on this season, and I want to tell you about it. We know we simply wouldn't have gotten to where we are in this season without all of those who still care and still fight for Kristen and Bob. At our best, what we do honors their faith. This came up when James interviewed Susan, the Cornerstone Shelter former executive director. So when you got a call from me about six, seven years ago, um, was it a nice surprise or a sorrowful surprise? Or um, It was... <laughs> That's something I... Let me think about that for a second. Um, It was an affirming surprise. Because as I said earlier, nobody was looking for her. And to find out that you were a reporter and you, you came across this story and it just stuck um, and that you would go to the extent that you did to pursue some answers, come here... You know, talk to me, um, the advocate that worked with Kristen, the police officer that, you know, worked with Kristen. Um, That was affirming. That was somebody cares. Somebody in North Dakota cares about this woman and this man. James and I at Dakota Spotlight are honored to follow in the footsteps of Kristen's friends her allies at Cornerstone, and Bob's family. They've all kept the flame alive. And we're going to give them the last word here on this episode. Here's Deborah, Bob's sister. Well, if anyone knows anything or can help with this, please find it in yourself to to do what you would want done for your loved one. And um, I just, I, yeah, I I would uh, appreciate that immensely to know something. Still yet to come on future episodes of Season 6, Vanishing Act, the untold story of Kristen Deedy and Bob Anderson. I think someone had told him, look, there's some reporter in town. He's from Minneapolis. He's asking a lot of questions about the disappearance. Yeah, they were just squeezing me for information. It was a jacket that uh, my mom uh, stitched up, and she recognized it right away. As we went around town, uh, it felt like someone was following us. There was a, you know, there was a, always someone watching us from a distance from a pickup truck. So I have to ask, did you kill Kristen and Bob? Dakota Spotlight is a production of Forum Communications. Remember, the investigation into what happened to Kristen and Bob remains an open case. Everyone is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. If you have any information about this case, contact law enforcement at the Logan County, North Dakota Sheriff's Office. The number is 701-754-2000.
If you like this show and want others to discover it, please consider leaving us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts. And why not join the Dakota Spotlight Facebook group? Just search Dakota Spotlight on Facebook. Thank you so much for listening. To support my work, get early access, listen ad-free, and much more, please consider subscribing to Spotlight Plus. Apple users can even subscribe right in the Apple Podcasts app. Learn more about Spotlight Plus at dakotaspotlight.com.